0: In this episode, I am talking to Dr. Alicia Jeffrey Thomas, who is a licensed physical therapist with advanced training in pelvic health rehabilitation. When I was pregnant with Milo, I was so lucky to be able to go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist and I learned so much about the pelvic floor and why it's so important that we as moms especially um, go get checked out. I think there's a misconception in our society that if you had babies, uh, that you just have to deal with different problems down there. You know, it could be leaking or painful sex. Like, there's lots of things that are happening down there when you carry a baby, when you give birth vaginally. Also, if you had a C-section. So while these issues may be common among women who have had children, they are not normal, and nobody should be made to feel like that's just how their body is now and there's nothing that can be done to help it. In this episode Alicia tells us you know what is the pelvic floor what does it do and also what happens to it during pregnancy and after childbirth. Um, We also talk about Kegels you know are Kegels really the answer for everyone and you'll probably be surprised at her answer. I hope this episode inspires people to go seek out you know a pelvic floor physiotherapist and get that initial assessment done. Alicia also takes us through what that first assessment would look like for you. And I hope that eases everyone's minds about, you know, what a pelvic floor physiotherapist actually does. Um, So yeah. I hope you enjoy this episode and if you know someone who's pregnant or you know someone who's thinking about getting pregnant, be sure to send them this episode as well because it is super informative. So here is Dr. Alicia Jeffrey Thomas. So I guess to start, I w- wanted you to kind of explain what a pelvic floor feels physio is and maybe what the training is that you guys have because from my understanding you're a physiotherapist so you have all the training that um, a typical physio would have but you have the extra training in pelvic health
1: yeah so that's that's correct so basically you know the track now is that you go and get your doctorate in physical therapy and then you have the option of going on and getting specialization afterwards. And that can be through a variety of different ways. Um, So me, myself, I did a clinical rotation in pelvic health for my last rotation. And so that allowed me to get a pretty wide experience in seeing, you know, the whole age spectrum, the whole gender spectrum, diagnosis spectrum, and everything. Um, And I was kind of, I had taken one pelvic floor course before that clinical, and then I took the rest of them after that clinical
0: I think most people that will listen to this are probably familiar with pelvic health physios or pelvic floor physios treating women that are pregnant or in postpartum. But I was wondering if you could explain, and I'm actually super curious to know, what other kinds of people or issues would you guys be looking at? Oh, man. Okay. So there's a a huge
1: spectrum. So you basically have to think you know, every, every human, every body has a pelvic floor. Um, and so you can have people that specialize in treating pediatric pelvic floor problems. So, um, kiddos with chronic bedwetting, um, or, you know, different, different things along that line, chronic constipation. Um, and then you have, you know, kind of the, the next step up from that. I see a lot of, um, Young people in their 20s and 30s that haven't had kids that have a lot of problems with short, tight pelvic floor muscles, where it almost kind of mimics like the symptoms of a UTI. Um, You have a lot of like urgency and frequency and difficulty emptying your bladder and, um, you know, pelvic pain and things like that. Um, And then you'll also see people who have endometriosis and interstitial cystitis and different, you know, pelvic pain conditions. Um, You'll see. Athletes who, you know, again may or may not have had children, but they're having pelvic floor dysfunction because basically there's a there's a mismatch in the amount of energy and and um, pressure that's being created by that athlete doing that that high impact activity. Um, there's a mismatch where their pelvic floor can't quite keep up for one reason or another, um, you know. And then we obviously have the uh pregnancy and postpartum crowd and and all of the stuff that comes along with that um and then you can move into your you know your postmenopausal perimenopausal postmenopausal people um who are having issues maybe with um you know, vulval vaginal atrophy and developing um, more incontinence, more pelvic pain with intercourse and things like that. Um, You can also, I also, because I work at a urology office, I see a lot of men post prostatectomy who are having urinary incontinence issues as well. So it really kind of spans the whole lifespan and kind of, you know, pelvic floor problems can hit anybody at any age.
0: Yeah. It's, it's wild to me that I had never heard of a pelvic floor Physio until I was pregnant, and the only reason I really came across it was because my friend, who's a chiropractor, worked. Um, she owns an office with a pelvic floor physio, who's her friend. And so, when I was talking to her, and they were explaining what a pelvic floor physio does, I was in shock. Like when she told me that the pelvic floor <laughs> physio, like, actually goes internally and you know checks out all your muscles. I because I'm a huge nerd and I like I just think this stuff is so cool I was like oh my god I'm making an appointment to see you right away and so I I (laughs) I saw her when I was pregnant and then I think I saw her for a postpartum visit um but yeah it's crazy to me that I had never heard of it and this is even crazier because my husband is a urologist (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so he he always sends people because he kind of sees the aftermath of issues, right? So typically it's people who are older who have given birth and have whatever issues. And then he would always refer them to a pelvic floor physio. But with regard to seeing one for prevention, that like it's becoming more popular now and it's such a needed thing. So anyways, I was so excited to do this episode because everyone needs to go see one. And like you said, it's not just if you're pregnant or postpartum. I had no idea that you dealt with kids who wet the bed. Do you know, like, do you treat uh, any kids like that? Because I've had people ask me about that issue and I didn't think it was a pelvic floor thing. I, I don't know what causes that.
1: yeah. I mean, so it definitely can be um, a really good book for people who are interested in that. Um, the book is called It's No Accident, um, and it's about how a lot of pediatric bedwetting um, is actually driven by underlying constipation, basically, where the the contents of the bowel will put pressure on the bladder and cause it to um, empty involuntarily. Um, and so it's really, really interesting. I haven't treated a whole lot of it um, just Based on the patient population that I've been around, Um, but it's it's definitely an area. There are people that like will specifically specialize in pediatrics um, to be able to really treat that population fully. So it's not something that I've been able to dive into a whole lot.
0: I think people have a certain issue, but they don't relate it to it being something that can be treated by a pelvic floor physio, right? Right. Um, So what? specifically is this is probably a really dumb question but what is the pelvic floor
1: so the pelvic floor is essentially the the base of everything so it's a it's a hammock of muscles that run from your pubic bone in the front up and underneath um, to your tailbone in the back, so it covers your urethral opening, it covers your vaginal opening, it covers your rectal opening. So it's the thing that you know is the gatekeeper. It opens and closes to allow for um, you know urination and defecation, um, and it's also the thing that just holds all of those organs up. So it has a big role to play with. Core stability and and you know just that overall function of the the trunk itself.
0: So it's it's made up of just muscles then. So
1: there are the pelvic floor muscles, but then there are also um, you know other things that that fall into that area, including you know ligaments, fascia, nerves, all kinds of things that that run through that region and all kind of help to to make sure that things stay
0: functioning. Right. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what happens to the pelvic floor when someone, what's happening to it during pregnancy. And then we can talk about if you had a vaginal childbirth, what that looks like. And then also something that I found interesting, which I didn't know, was that someone who ended up having a c-section can still have pelvic floor issues just because of all the pressure from carrying a baby but also if they did labor at all that would affect it as well so i don't think many people realize that well and and it's it's All
1: right. So let's, let's start kind of at the beginning and I'll walk you through kind of what happens. And then that will kind of relate to, to how we get to the C-section crowd. Um, Basically, you know, you have to think about it from a really simple perspective, you're growing a tiny human. And so that's adding progressively more weight and resistance to um all of the ligaments, all of the muscles, everything that's supposed to be you know supporting your internal contents, so your pelvic floor muscles have to kind of work over time, but a lot of times there's you know stretch to the ligaments there's there's stretch to the muscles, and so that's why a lot of times we talk about you know coordinating the pelvic floor to work on strengthening to support things, but then also once you get towards the end of pregnancy you need to be able to get that baby out. And so the focus then kind of switches and we say, okay, can we go in the other end of that range of motion? Are we able to relax and lengthen the pelvic floor muscles to allow for delivery without, you know, holding our breath, bearing down those kinds of things to, to create the force to, to allow the baby to exit. Um, So it's, it's really kind of, you need to have that, that full spectrum of muscle action. Yes, we need to be able to contract, but we also need to be able to relax, and let go. Um,
0: so is that is that what people or what physios are talking about when they say, you know, you do the Kegel, you tighten, but it's it's also equally as important to be able to release the Kegel properly?
1: Basically, the easiest way to think about this is like the bicep muscle in your arm. So if you're going to do a bicep curl, you want to start with your arm straight. You want to bend that elbow all the way up. And then you wanna release it back down to that full starting position with the arm straight. You don't wanna get, you know, part way down and then immediately contract it back up again. That's not a very efficient way of working that muscle. Um, and also if if your arm is constantly being held in this contracted position, that's gonna create pain, that's gonna create, you know, dysfunction of, of all kinds. So we wanna make sure you know we're moving through that full range of motion with that muscle. Um, And when it comes to the pelvic floor, that means we contract at the right times when we want to hold back from having, you know, urinary accidents or anything like that, but also that we're able to let go at the appropriate times when it comes down to, hey, we've gone to the bathroom or we need to go to the bathroom or we need to have this baby, you know, and, and being able to get to those lower points of that range of motion.
0: So I heard someone explain it, describing it as, you know, when you're carrying groceries from the car and you've overloaded your bicep muscle. That is a perfect example. Right. So if you're constantly contracting that muscle, holding, 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 and then it's like difficult to let it go.
1: Yeah. And you can, and you can have, you know, like once you finally let the groceries down, you've that kind of weird sensation afterwards. Um and so that that definitely kind of demonstrates a little bit of that that overloading principle that's that's happening during pregnancy, um, you know, and and why we need to make sure that we're we're giving ourselves kind of adequate recovery
0: for people that have. So let's say someone goes to a physio, they're strong down there, they're able to release, um, you know, there's no issues, and then they give birth vaginally. Does that? Like, ideally, I guess you want it to be so that the baby passes through and then everything just goes goes back to normal. But is that that must not be very common? So, yeah, I mean, you have to think about the
1: potential things that can happen. Right. So your your muscles have to either be able to and your ligaments and all those other supporting structures that we talked about have to be able to stretch enough to allow that baby to go through and then recoil. Um, but a lot of times due to a variety of factors that doesn't necessarily happen. And then we have, you know, tearing or episiotomies or things like that, that, you know, create a disruption in different layers of the muscle tissue, the sphincteric tissue. Um, and then we have scars and things that we have to work with afterwards.
0: And I guess some of the biggest issues that you would see is that the muscles aren't tightening back up. So are people people who have given birth vaginally are they, do they typically have issues of being weak? So it really depends on the individual because
1: how your body responds to a trauma is going to be different depending on your underlying muscle patterns, right? if and and it also depends on the intensity of what happened during delivery. You can have um, people who, yes, end up with kind of weak and uncoordinated, you know, newly muscles that need to be trained to contract back up again appropriately. But then you also have people who go through this event and they come out on the other side and their muscles are like, holy crap, what just happened? And they're gripping for dear life. And they get stuck in that, you know, trying to carry the groceries in and never really letting go um, kind of position. And so that's why I, I really hesitate to say, oh, after you give birth, you need to start working on Kegels immediately because they could be in a constant Kegel. And I wouldn't really know um, until we did that assessment.
0: So for me, my experience was when I went to the pelvic floor physio, she did, I guess, the initial assessment on me. And she said that I was almost Olympic strength. That's the word that she used. And I felt so proud of myself. (laughs) And like, I could not wait to get home and tell my husband this. So that was me before giving birth. Um, she, She gave me exercises to work on and I did them. But one of the best things that I think everyone should do, which I don't think is very common, is that she taught me how to do the perineal stretching. I did that all the time before giving birth and I swear it helped. Like it only makes sense, right? Yeah. You're preparing your body to give birth. Like why wouldn't we stretch out those muscles. Like we stretch before we do a basic workout. right? And then afterwards, is is there such a thing as someone having like a delayed issue? Because my son is almost two years old and I've only recently started to notice that I'm just feeling different down there.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you know, yes, the going through the delivery process is one thing, but then you have to think about how your lifestyle changes afterwards. Your body ergonomics from you know carrying your son around, um, you know, and and breastfeeding, and and all of these other things that change our posture, change our daily activities, and and those things build up over time, and maybe we had you know a little bit of underlying dysfunction before, and it kind of creates this, this snowballing effect over time, um, where, you know, we start to notice issues later on. A lot of times, I'll see people who, you know, maybe had a tiny little bit of leaking after they gave birth, and they kind of left it alone for a while. um, And then they come back, you know, six, seven years later. And they're like, okay, this has become a problem now and we need to deal with it. And I don't understand. And that's usually what it is, is it's it's kind of been this this compounded lifestyle change with not really dr- uh, directly addressing what's going on with the pelvic floor and the rest of the body.
0: Right. I guess that makes sense. It's kind of like a chronic issue that just snowballs and keeps going and keeps going and gets worse and worse and worse. So. That makes sense. I never had any issues, and now all of a sudden, I'm I'm finding that I'm I'll go pee, but then I feel like I could go pee again in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like the weirdest thing, and I forget what my husband he he that's like dysfunctional voiding.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that could be related to to a few different things. And it's kind of this, you know, you you test a bunch of different things with that. You say, okay, well, if you go back five minutes later, is there a full void there, or is it just a few drops? Like, is it one of those things where our bladder, you know, th- we need to kind of think about toileting posture and muscle relaxation, and how do we actually get the bladder to empty correctly the first time? Or is it a matter of your bladder is throwing a temper tantrum and thinking that it needs to go again shortly after you just went and we need to figure out how to kind of talk to the bladder and be like, no, 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 it's actually okay. You can, you know, fill back up again. Um, And there's kind of different strategies depending on what's going on with your muscles and and how your bladder is emptying and all of those things.
0: Someone had a similar issue, So I'll I'll just use myself as an example. I have that issue. And then also I notice, which I never had before, if I have a full bladder, and I'm holding it, but I'm, you know, trying to get something done before I go pee and I sneeze or, you know, if my son and I are doing a TikTok dance, <laughs> I'll leak a little bit, which I never had before. And all of a sudden that's happening as well. So if somebody has issues like this, can can I automatically assume that I'm weak down there or can it be that it's too tight down there? It could absolutely be that it's too tight. That's I mean, that's the thing is like your muscles are so sneaky.
1: That, you know, I can make a good educated guess based on what you tell me subjectively, but your muscles can, like, you know, when we actually go to do the assessment, I'm surprised a lot of the time, you know, that that it actually ends up being a tightness problem way more often than it ends up being a weakness problem.
0: I think people just assume that they're weak. So instead of going to see a pelvic floor physio, people will just do Kegels on their own. And it's like well, that might be doing more harm than it's doing good if you're tight. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's one of those things where I feel
1: like we were only ever taught that Kegels, you know, or like pelvic floor equals Kegels. That's the only thing that we ever learned. And nobody talks about, oh, what happens when things are too tight? Because they think, oh, tight is the goal. And so we have to kind of unlearn a lot of these cultural things that you know about about vaginal tightness muscle tightness being this this thing that we strive towards yeah because a lot of times that means dysfunction for a lot of people and, and we don't want that to down the line be you know i've been doing hundreds and hundreds of kegels and now it hurts to have sex or it hurts to have a bowel movement or you know all of those things yeah. or you pee your pants Right, exactly. Or you pee your pants and you're like, I don't understand why this is happening. I do these exercises every day.
0: This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com momroom and enter our code MOMROOM at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible being tight. I also think about that carrying the groceries example where if you're carrying a huge load of groceries and you're just carrying it all day, all day, all day, all day, and then you release and now all of a sudden you have to go use your arm again, it's going to be weak. Like I think of the pelvic floor like that. So that's why because people always say like, well, why would you leak if you're too tight? But that's why, because your muscles are exhausted. Exactly. I mean, if you if you went to the gym and you did 500 bicep curls and then you tried to reach up and do your hair, it wouldn't work very well. <laughs> this is just an interesting thing that I wanted to tell you. When I was little, just because you mentioned the bedwetting and stuff, my mom used to have to take me to the doctor because I wouldn't pee. I was such a busybody and I'm still like that today. I would be playing with my toys like doing like whatever I was doing and I just wouldn't take the time to go pee so much so that my mom would have to take me to the doctor and I don't remember what they would actually do. I think they just gave me a bunch of stuff to drink or something like that. But yeah, like I would just constantly hold my pee and I feel because my husband's a urologist, he notices that in me as an adult as well. Like I will be out and about and I'll say Oh my God, like once we get to the store, I need to pee and then I'll totally forget and mm-hmm. it'll be two hours later. And he's like, Did you go pee? And I'm like, No, I didn't. It's the weirdest thing ever.
1: Yeah. And, and that, you know, it's, it, it is interesting too because we, we have these initial signals of urgency to void, but there is kind of that wave where, you know, we feel it and it's really, really intense and then we get distracted by something else and it goes away and we forget about it for a while. And I actually use that with my, you know, overactive bladder and, and urgency incontinence patients to say, like, okay, if we mentally distract you, we can calm down the intensity of that urge enough that you can calmly make it to the bathroom without leaking on the way there. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where it's like, oh, now I've held my pee for four or five, six hours and I completely forgot about it. And that it is interesting that it it I see that a lot in the kiddos with pelvic floor dysfunction. Like they'll be playing video games and they don't want to get up from that and then you know that that kind of leads to this chronic holding pattern that they get into.
0: And is that something that would cause tightness as well because you're kind of holding it so long like you like exhausting yeah. your muscles? Oh, interesting. I wanted to ask you about two things. I've had people message me saying that someone told them that when you go pee, you like hold it. And I know this is horrible because my husband's told me, you know, when you go pee and then you're like, stop the pee and then you let it go again. Can you just explain why that is bad and that people shouldn't do that? Yeah, of course. So
1: basically you want to separate bathroom time and exercise time. I use the stop urine test very, very rarely in people that have, you know, very little to no awareness of how to access their pelvic floor. And even then I always encourage them to, you know, place a finger near like the vaginal opening to feel for a contraction before I'll say, Hey, go sit on the toilet and try to stop your pee because it can lead to a lot of, you know, dysfunctional voiding patterns. If we're, we're repetitively stopping and starting our stream, we can have difficulty initiating our stream. We can have a stream that, you know, starts just stopping and starting on its own. It, it can lead to a whole host of problems because we're creating this pattern of when we're in the bathroom, you know, it's not just a relaxing event that it's supposed to be.
0: And the next thing I was going to ask you about, because I saw it on one of your TikToks, and I do this all the time, and it's all I think about now every time I go pee, is I put my tippy toes on the floor. Yeah, So this is a why? Why do people do that? Why am I doing this? It's driving me insane. So I think why we do it is
1: because it's usually I don't know I don't know how tall you are, but for me because I'm you know five foot four, I use it as a way to feel like I'm more grounded, and and I think also we're trying to kind of mimic the squatty potty position of trying to get our knees up a little bit higher to allow things to relax, but it kind of backfires on us a little bit. There's basically similar nerves to what supply the bladder and the pelvic floor are also the same nerves that go down and supply your calf muscles so if your calf muscles are on it makes it a little bit harder for your pelvic floor muscles and everything to relax appropriately and and so it's one of those you know when we're in the bathroom it is relaxed time. It's not try to do other exercise
0: time because it's like a bad habit. As soon as I sit down, I put my tippy toes on the on the floor, and I don't have the excuse of being short because I'm five eleven. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I can't say that that's why I do it. I don't know why I do it, but I find when I do what you said to put your feet flat and just like lean forward in a relaxed uh, position, it's so much easier to pee. And just let it all go. I so I I and I've never heard anyone talk about that before. So that was like life-changing for me. That one TikTok was <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Oh see that's the whole point of the TikTok videos is to like give people little nuggets of knowledge to help them. <laughs> I'm sure people are gonna listen to this and think okay, like I need to go see a pelvic floor physio, but they're probably going to be nervous because they don't know what to expect. So let's say someone's pregnant or they're thinking about getting pregnant and they went to see you. What would the initial assessment look like?
1: I tend to take a lot of time on my subjective history. I give people a lot of paperwork to do in advance. It's usually like four or five pages of you know, history of just health history, and then specific to pelvic floor, how often you're going to the bathroom during the day. And we spend a fair amount of time getting into the nitty gritty of that and making sure that we have a good understanding of what's going on. And I talk about how all these things are kind of interrelated to make sure that we're kind of on the same page there. And we start to kind of formulate some hypotheses for what's going on. And, then when we talk about what we're going to do for the exam, it's, it's you know, again, very individual dependent, just like anything else, but it usually consists of some amount of we're going to assess what's going on with your spine, we're going to assess what's going on with your hips, your abdomen, and your pelvic floor. Um, and so the first parts of those look very much like a regular old orthopedic PT visit, right? We're screening kind of the same things. Um, when we get to the pelvic floor exam, it's not an OBGYN exam. So there's no stirrups, there's no speculum, there's no scary stuff. All we're doing is using a single gloved finger to basically assess what's going on with the muscles. Um, So we're assessing muscle tone by gently pressing on the muscles. We're looking at the same things you would look at in any other muscle in the body, your strength, your endurance, your coordination, um, all of those things to kind of see how that relates to the things that we've pointed out as potential problems. And then from there, we're able to formulate a home exercise program that may consist of relaxation exercises, it may consist of strengthening exercises, or just education on the first day just for, for behavioral things to start working on. And that's usually kind of the the quick synopsis of what happens on day one.
0: Okay, that's perfect. And just to go back to C-section, I was wondering if once. When when someone does go through a C-section, does the actual operation or surgery affect the pelvic floor at all? So it
1: doesn't affect the pelvic floor directly, but you can't think about the pelvic floor as a muscle group in total isolation from everything else. So I like to think about this as you have a canister that's built up of your pelvic floor as the bottom of the canister your abs and your back muscles wrap around as the sides of the canister and your diaphragm is the top of the canister. And so when you have a totally intact can of soda, okay, you can stand on it and nothing's going to happen because there's equal pressure being exerted on all sides. Like all walls are intact. If we stab a hole in the side or we pop the top and we step on that same can, it's going to crush because that pressure is going to go wherever that area of weakness is. And so we, you know, if you have a C-section, maybe you had um, labored beforehand. And so there was some amount of pressure being placed downward. And so that may have weakened things, even if there wasn't a full delivery happening there. But even in the absence of that, we've still kind of disrupted the integrity of the canister. And so how we manage that intra-abdominal pressure um, is going to be different postpartum.
0: For people that you see postpartum what would you say are the most common issues that you that they have
1: so I would definitely say you know the the top things to think about are incontinence um so usually stress incontinence you know coughing laughing sneezing jumping those kinds of things and being able to feel like they can safely get back into living their life and exercising and all of those things without leaking um the other one that I had just touched on was that uh, diastasis recti, which is the separation between the, um, basically between your six pack muscles um, that happens as we progress through pregnancy. And so that's one of those things, again, that we have to look at, you know, how your body is managing intra-abdominal pressure, because that that heavily relates to what's going on with the pelvic floor. Um, if we... Had a C-section, we've got a scar that we got to work on. If we had tearing or an episiotomy during delivery, we've got a scar that we need to be working on because um, if that scar is left alone, um, then that can kind of you know disrupt how the muscles that attach to that scar are are functioning. And so we want to make sure that at kind of the earliest appropriate moment, we're getting our hands on that scar and getting it nice and mobile, and making sure that it's not a painful scar, um, so that it's it's not causing Problems down the road. Um, a big thing that we run into with, you know, episiotomy scars or tearing um, scars is that you you end up having some pain with intercourse, um, and that's another big one that that we want to look at in the postpartum period is making sure that we're we're comfortable, right? Because sex at no point should be
0: painful. It blew my mind the trauma that my pelvic floor and like my vagina went through to give birth. And the only thing I got was a little appointment at six weeks postpartum just to kind of say like, oh, well, you know, your organs basically aren't falling out. So you're good to go. Like, that's it. Oh, yeah. Like, that's it. And like, it it blows my mind that pelvic floor physio is not just the standard of care. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because in other countries, it is, you know,
1: in in France is the example that everybody always brings up where where women have access to pelvic floor physio postpartum. um, And that's been the case for decades. And it's, I mean, we are making strides towards that. I know the um, the last time that ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the last time they came out with their new postpartum recommendations that were updated, I think in 2018, it was the first time that they mentioned pelvic floor physical therapy as something that should be included in the fourth trimester.
0: Oh, I I hope at some point soon because people in Canada and probably where you are as well, people pay out of pocket to see. A pelvic floor physio so if you're not financially in a place where you can pay to have these extra appointments on top of you know you have a new baby now to take care of it blows my mind to think of all the women who have just kind of suffered through whatever their issues were postpartum like it drives me insane
1: so 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 important to be drilling that message home Because that's how, that's how things become common knowledge is that, you know, people start talking about it. Nobody talks about their, their pelvic floor problems. They make that joke like, oh yeah, I can't go on the trampoline anymore. Um, but it's not like they talk about their shoulder problem and they talk about the rehab that they've done for their shoulder problem. It's not, you know, people are much more willing to talk about things like that, um, and so it's, it's, I think it's a, a cultural shift that we need to be having where we're more okay talking about those things. And I think that that's starting to happen, um, particularly across all of these social media platforms. You see a lot more openness and willingness to talk about those things.
0: I wanted you to let people know where they can find you, so your social media stuff – Where can people find you online if they want to follow your awesome TikToks and your Instagram? So my TikTok username
1: is still my personal username because I haven't changed it yet. It's Scrambled Jam. And then I co-run a pelvic floor, uh, pelvic health page with um, a urogynecologist, uh, Dr. Angel Johnson. We are the Pelvic Health Ladies on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so you can check out any of those sites. I cross post a lot of stuff from my TikTok page to there, but not
0: everything. There you have it. That was the first of probably many episodes that have to do with the pelvic floor and also just women's health in general. These topics are so important and my goal for these episodes are to, you know, get this information out there and start a conversation about how the standard of care for women and especially moms um, is lacking. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can expect some upcoming episodes um, with other healthcare professionals where we discuss women's health issues, especially surrounding pregnancy and postpartum. If you haven't already, please rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. You can follow me on TikTok or on Instagram at the.mom.room and my blog is renearena.com. You guys are seriously the best, and I am overwhelmed with the success of this podcast so far, and I hope it just continues to grow and we continue to have these important conversations. So thank you so much, and I really hope your children sleep tonight.